Thursday, August 13th here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Joff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And this is the final installment of our Division by Division Team Preview Series. We hit the AFC West earlier this week. Today, we're going to tackle the NFC West. You can find all eight episodes on DraftSharks.com or wherever you get your podcasts. On the site, you can also find full backfield breakdowns for every team in the AFC and the NFC. These are some of our beefiest articles all year, Richard. Right, yeah, those things are beasts. That's like a, you know, two-day project to put those together, but they're super useful and something I think you can go back to throughout the offseason. We'll, we'll be updating those probably in a couple of weeks once we get some, you know, more training camp news. So they'll be pretty much updated from now up until your draft. It's a two-day thing unless you're a procrastinator like me and that's not <laughs> the 1 a.m. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, as I said, Smo hit the AFC on Tuesday. I just posted the NFC this morning. We will update as needed in the coming weeks. Also hitting the site soon is our ever-popular Perfect Draft series, the original version. So if you want access to that and the rest of the goods you need to dom- that you need to dominate your draft, become a DS Insider today. As I said, though, today we're going to round out the previews by division. We're going to do the NFC West. Jared, the Arizona Cardinals are up first. Any coaching changes that we need to know about? No changes. Cliff Kingsbury back for year two. Um, and I guess... I guess the Cardinals were disappointing on offense last year compared to the expectations that a lot of folks had for them. But I don't know. I, I thought overall it was a mostly encouraging season, considering it was Kingsbury's first year as a head coach in the NFL. And obviously had a rookie quarterback in Kyler Murray. They had a you know subpar group of pass catchers, I think. So the Cardinals last year, they were 21st in yards. They were 16th in yards per play, 16th in points scored. 13th in uh, Football Outsiders Offensive DVOA. So sort of an average offense. One interesting note, um, I think everyone thought the Cardinals were going to play fast last year, and they really did. They were fourth in pace, which is just seconds per play. They were fourth in situation neutral pace, which just, you know, takes into account plays where the game is within one score and, you know, the scoreboard's not dictating how fast or slow a team plays. So they were top four in both of those. They were only 22nd in total off- offensive plays. Um, so that just tells me they weren't able to, you know, hang on to the ball and extend drive. So I, I think this offense, if it does take a step forward in 2020, they should at least bust into the top half of the league in total plays. And, you know, I think they have the upside to, to finish in the top 10. Yeah. I mean, there were certainly things they could have done better and there were some disappointing rate stats, but I, I think if you're, Strongly disappointed by what the Cardinals did last year. You might have been overrating them considering it was a brand new head coach, new to the NFL. It was a rookie quarterback. They lost Christian Kirk for a little while. You know, they they needed to do some things to make the team better. So I think overall it was fine. We'll get more to the specific players heading into this year. What do you have on the run pass split front? Yeah, the Cardinals finished last year with a 60.4% pass rate. That ranked 14th in the NFL. So they were, you know, right in the middle of the NFL in terms of run pass split. What's interesting, they went 62.1% pass in the first half of the season. That dropped to 58.6 in the second half. I think, you know, Kenny and Drake arriving and, you know, giving that running game a boost had a lot to do with that. Cardinals were also 14th in pass rate when games were within one score, which again, I think tells us more what a team wants to be and is not necessarily forced to be. So, and I know this is where we disagree. I have the Cardinals passing a bit more this season. I projected 61.5%. Um, and it's just because you have Kyler Murray entering his second season. You have DeAndre Hopkins, obviously the big offseason addition, which is just a massive upgrade to that wide receiver core. And Kenyon Drake, as much as I love him, he's not a guy you want to be giving, you know, 20 carries a game. So I, I, I'm projecting, and it's obviously a projection, um, the Cardinals to throw it a bit more this season than they did last year. You mentioned the difference in, or I mean, you mentioned the, the rates in close games. I think it's also worth looking at what they did in wins versus losses and ties. In five wins, Arizona passed on just 45% of offensive plays last year. If you look back at Cliff Kingsbury's whole career as a head coach or OC so far, he's gone about 58-42 in pass-run split. I think they'll be a little bit better than last year, so I think that will drive a little bit more running. I projected them at 59-41, and not a huge difference between where we are. But, you know, if we're talking – Two and a half percent on a thousand plays. It could be twenty-five pass plays. You know, plays that swing one way or the other. Yeah, and I, I think that's the sole reason that we came out with you know, Kyler Murray two or three spots different in our rankings. I just have him for more pass attempts than you do. 
Yeah, I agree. So let's move on to QB notes. Kyler Murray, somebody that we've talked about plenty. I think anybody who's been listening to us all offseason has a pretty good idea what we think of Kyler Murray. I mentioned before that he graded poorly as a passer last season, especially late in the year. He was dealing with an injury at that point, too. Still ranked 12th among quarterbacks in fantasy points per game. Only Lamar Jackson rushed for more yards among QBs than Kyler Murray last year. Only Jackson and Josh Allen logged more rushing attempts. So we all know that that's really the upside area for Murray. And he might even have a little bit of upside over where he finished in rushing touchdowns last year. He scored four times. Seven quarterbacks scored at least that many times on the ground. And again, Murray ranked higher than that versus the rest of the position in rushing attempts and yardage. Yeah, he also barely ran the first two games of the season, and I don't know if you know, I don't know if that was by design or, or what, but um, you know, he, his pace stats over the final fourteen were even better than what he finished with. So I, I do agree, he has more rushing upside than what he showed last season. Um, Kyler just scored the fourth most fantasy points by a rookie quarterback over the past ten seasons. The three guys ahead of him on that list are Cam Newton, Robert Griffin, and Dak Prescott. You know, Cam and Dak have become you know high end fantasy quarterbacks. Robert Griffin maybe could have if he had stayed healthy. So I I like the trajectory Kyler Murray is on. Um, Obviously it's tough to overstate how much uh, DeAndre Hopkins upgrades the pass catching core. And Kyler also should be in for some positive touchdown regression, positive passing touchdown regression, just a 3.7% passing touchdown rate last year. That was fifth lowest among 27 qualifying quarterbacks. Right. I mean, that number is, is bound to come up even if he's not, a hugely better passer this year, which he should be to some degree, at least because it's a second season because DeAndre Hopkins is around. The problem, of course, as we've addressed before, is that everybody's expecting Kyler Murray to just progress from where he was last year. He's QB four and ADP. He's basically even with QB three Dak Prescott in ADP. So, you know, not only do you have to take Kyler Murray high, you basically have to choose Kyler Murray over Dak Prescott to draft him. And that's just where he's a, a no for me. Yeah, yeah, we're on the same page there. It's Dak over Kyler for me, ten times out of ten. Um, Kyler, to me, it, to me is in the same tier as Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, and even Wilson and Watson tend to go after Murray in drafts. Right. The only way I'm uh, considering those three is if they're sliding past ADP or at least toward the ADP of the last guy in that group. And at that point, Watson and Russell Wilson are both safer options to me so i and they have the same kind of profile where they all have the rushing upside yep i agree running back notes they of course traded away david johnson and his big contract this offseason they use the transition tag and it's over eight million dollar salary to keep Kenyon drake on board and off the free agent market drake joined the team middle of last year he claimed 61.2 of percent of arizona's carries and 13.4 percent of the targets after that trade each of those shares would have ranked ninth among all running backs for the season last year. Yeah, it was nice to see Kenyon Drake finally unleashed. I got I was always impressed by him in Miami. He averaged 4.75 yards per carry in his three his you know his first three seasons in Miami. That was sixth best among 61 running backs with 200 plus attempts over those three seasons. And you know that was on mostly bad. Dolphins offenses. So we finally saw him in a good run game in Arizona. He obviously capitalized. He was uh, running back four in both PPR and non-PPR points over those final eight games with the Cardinals. Drake had three top three weekly finishes with Arizona. So he, he showed the high weekly ceiling. He also finished top 21 among running backs in PPR points in six of his eight outings. So, you know, he was also fairly consistent, which is, is what you'd expect for a guy getting the type of volume he did. And it seems like he's probably due for similar volume. I mean, you know, we'll see exactly how it plays out. But Chase Edmonds had the one huge rushing day in that win over the Giants last year, that game that David Johnson started and played three snaps because he entered the game injured and more injured than the Cardinals let us know. Chase Edmonds, of course, sprained his ankle the following week, missed the next three games. And then after that, I mean, he only logged two carries and two targets the rest of the way, even with David Johnson barely playing. So it wasn't like... Chase Edmonds was third on the depth chart behind two guys getting a lot of work. It was, we don't really need to give anybody else the ball that much besides Kenny Drake at this point. There is a pocket of support out there for Chase Edmonds as a late upside guy. I just don't see him as more than a handcuff behind Kenyon Drake right now. Yeah, I think the admin supporters will tell you that he he was banged up, you know, over the second half season. Even when he was active, that you know he just wasn't healthy, and that's why he got so little work behind Kenny Drake. That's probably true to an extent. Like I think he's going to get more work than he did over those final eight games exactly. after Drake arrived. 
especially if the Cardinals do run more plays this season, which, which I expect them to. But I, I'm with you. I don't think Edmonds is going to see enough volume to be a standalone fantasy option. I think he's a high-end handcuff, but I, I don't think he's going to have standalone value. Yeah, I, I think Chase Edmonds is basically Latavius Murray, but not in the Saints offense and not with Latavius Murray's proven background of production. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I, Edmonds also has the the edge, and, and maybe you know we just haven't seen Kenyon Drake be a lead back for an entire mm-hmm. season. He did it over eight games last year in Arizona. He was never the lead back in Miami, so there there's at least some some question still, you know, whether or not Drake can can hold up over a full season. Although to be fair, we could say that about Alvin Kamara to some degree too. Yeah, sure. Yep. The other question for Chase Edmonds is, you know, Benjamin, um, you know, Benjamin spent the past two years as Arizona state's workhorse, 553 carries 77 receptions over those two seasons. He's not a special prospect in terms of, of size and size and speed, but Benjamin posted a strong three cone time and that agility shows up on tape. He's this jittery kind of runner that, that doesn't like to quit on plays, just keeps running. I think there's a chance he could challenge Chase Edmonds. And, you know, you might say a seventh round running back. Why should I worry about him? Chase Edmonds was a third day running back as well. Yeah, um, I, I like Eno Benjamin as a prospect. But the fact that he lasted until the seventh round at least should make Edmonds the favorite. For this job, you know, as we get into training camp here, I, I agree it's you know probably not a lock, but um, Benjamin for for now, not someone I'm I'm spending a draft pick on in redraft. Yeah, I agree with that. I certainly treat Chase Edmonds as the favorite, but uh, I will be curious to see if there's a battle here or if it's just one, two, three among these guys. Yeah, pass catcher notes DeAndre Hopkins. That's a storyline that we've addressed on the show multiple times. I agree that he is among the best wide receivers in the league. I agree that there's upside for him to stay in the range where he has been, which is top five among fantasy receivers each of the past three years. But I also think that there's downside risk from his top five wide receiver ADP. And we've talked about it. The big thing is volume. DeAndre Hopkins was a target monster. He was just, he controlled targets in Houston while he was there. I don't think that he has the upside to do that in Arizona because there's more with the Cardinals and he's the new guy. Yeah, uh, Hopkins averaged 166 targets per season over the past five years in Houston. He was top seven among wide receivers and targets all five of those years. So he really just has nowhere to go but down in volume. Um, the other concerns are what you know is likely a quarterback downgrade. And you know, I think Kyler Murray would have to take a, a big step forward to at, at least you know even be even with Deshaun Watson as a quarterback. Um, and then there's just the fact that DeAndre Hopkins is changing teams. I, I, I think fading wide receivers changing teams in general is a good rule of thumb, especially this off season where these guys just haven't had and won't have as much time to play together. Um, I think it's going to be even tougher for these new guys. I actually looked at wide receivers of Hopkins caliber who changed teams and how they fare in their first season with a new team. Hopkins became the ninth wide receiver over the past 10 years to finish top 12 in PPR points and then change teams the following year. Six of the previous eight guys scored fewer PPR points. Now you you might say you expect that because these were guys who you know were top twelve, so it's tough for them to be better, and you might expect them to take a step back. Um, six of the eight guys still finished wide receiver nineteen or better in fantasy points. I definitely still expect Hopkins to you know be a top nineteen wide receiver, but there's just not much of a discount on him where he's going. You know, he's the fourth or fifth wide receiver off the board in most fantasy drafts. I just think the risk outweighs the you know the upside at that point. Right. The higher in the draft you get, the more room there is for downside. We'll talk about him a little bit more in a few minutes. Christian Kirk, though, far less risky at his wide receiver 39 ADP. He saw 23.3% of Cardinals targets last year in the games that he played, nearly six percentage points ahead of Larry Fitzgerald after Kirk's return from the ankle sprain that cost him three games. So he was up over 24% at that point. Larry Fitzgerald was down below 19% in target share. Christian Kirk was also at Texas A&M when Kyler Murray started out there before Murray transferred to Oklahoma. I'm not saying that's significant. I'm not saying they played together in college, so Christian Kirk is going to be his number one wide receiver. But longtime familiarity, you know, the fact that they have at least known each other for that extent of time, it can only help with a quarterback and a wide receiver. Yeah, it can't hurt. I don't know. Kirk Kirk is a guy, a a lot of smart people, a lot of you know, fantasy analysts and just, you know, high stakes guys that I respect are, are high on Christian Kirk. I'm not really there. Uh, I think his, his 2019 season was pretty disappointing. He had, he had that huge game against the Bucks, who finished dead last in fantasy points allowed to wide receivers in Kirk's other 12 games. He averaged just 10.7 PPR points per game that would have ranked 52nd 
among wide receivers. And as you said, that was on a 23% target share, which is you know almost definitely coming down this season with DeAndre Hopkins added to the mix. So you know maybe Christian Kirk is going to be more efficient as Arizona's second wide receiver. I actually I actually would expect him to be. I never thought he was a lead wide receiver in the NFL. So I think that the efficiency should improve, but whether or not that offsets what is probably going to be a pretty big dip in targets, I'm not sure. Yeah, and I think there's some figuring out for the coaching staff, which they probably have been spending the offseason doing, figuring out the role for Christian Kirk and getting him into the right spots. And again, he's going to wide receiver 39, so I don't think you have to love him at this point. Yep. Say, I'll take the second wide receiver as my fourth and see what happens with him. Yeah, I can't argue with the wide receiver 39. He, he just always seems to go you know, a bit earlier than I'm considering him. Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't drafted a lot of him because he's in a range where there are several guys that I like, but uh, a, a solid range for him, I think. I have seen a little bit of support for Andy Isabella as a late-round lottery ticket type, and you know, my initial reaction was, well, how is there room for him to do that? But, I mean, the more I think about it, I don't hate it as long as it's very late in the draft and you know, a fairly deep draft at that. He would have to push ahead of Larry Fitzgerald in playing time to actually do anything close to a breakout and become fantasy relevant. I, I can't bet on that. But if we're, you know, if we're in like a 24 round draft and Andy Isabella is your eighth wide receiver, okay. The Cardinals did have four wide receivers on the field for 33% of their snaps last season. That was one of, if not the highest rates in the NFL. So even as the fourth wide receiver, Isabella will be on the field. 33% is obviously enough, not enough to make him a fantasy option. Fitzgerald was inefficient last year. Once again, he was worse over the second half of the season than the first. He, he just, Fitz just seems like a guy who like, he, he's going to be a top three wide receiver in Arizona until he retires. Like, they're, you know, they're, they're just not going to boot him from that role. So, um, yeah, I think I think Isabella, just a flyer. I'm not betting on him being someone we can count on in fantasy this year. I agree. And that four wide receiver stuff is why I don't care about the Dan Arnold versus Max Williams competition <laughs> at tight end. Cliff Kingsbury's offense has not been friendly to a tight end since Jason Morrow led his first Texas Tech offense in receptions. Yeah, and last year, Cardinals tight ends combined for just 56 targets. That was a 10% target share. That's, you know, well below the league average of around 21%. Um, th- there has been some Dan Arnold hype over the past couple of weeks, but I'm with you. I'm not buying it. I just I don't think he's going to be a big enough part of this passing game. Yeah, I mean, at least Dan Arnold was a receiver in college. I, I just don't yeah. care. <laughs> I liked him, you know, when he was potentially catching passes from Drew Brees in that offense, but not not here in Arizona. I agree. I wish he had stayed in New Orleans. Yeah. Who I like, there's really no one in Arizona that I'm chasing. I think Christian Kirk is probably the most attractive at cost, you know, beyond like Kenyon Drake in round two. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Kenyon Drake's ADP has sunk a little bit over the past couple of weeks. And I think Clyde Edwards Alaire has mm-hmm. obviously moved ahead of him. Seems like Miles Sanders is like the, the hot guy right now. So Drake's down to running back 11. Um, he's now going in the early second round. I, I like him at that price tag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've liked him more as he slid through round two. I got him at the end of round two in kind of a goofy draft recently. But, you know, if he can slide into that range, then I'm definitely interested. Who I don't, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, we've talked about him. Beyond the, the questions about him, he's right behind Tyreek Hill and Julio Jones. So if I'm picking in the first half of round two, it's easily Tyreek Hill and Julio Jones over him for me. Yeah, I'm with you there. I'm definitely taking those two guys over him. I, I, I've seen, I've been in drafts where Hopkins gets to the back half of round two, you know, behind those guys, behind Chris Godwin. I think that's where he belongs. So if you can get him there, I think he's okay. Um, but at ADP, I'm, I'm, I'm avoiding. I'm not going to tell you you're making a mistake, but if I'm in that range, I'm probably taking a running back that has slid down the board too. And Kyler Murray, of course, we mentioned before, I don't like him where he's going. Yeah, I mean, he's only going four picks after Dak Prescott. Again, um, that's really not close to me. Our projections aren't very close. We have Dak projected for 17 more points. The other thing with Kyler Murray in basketball drafts to me he, he's not he's not the best guy to stack like you either got to take DeAndre Hopkins obviously in the second round Christian Kirk again I'm not super high on and beyond that it's like you know do you want to take Larry Fitz not really do you want to take Andy Isabella sure maybe in like the 26th round but it's just it, it's not a great stacking situation for Kyler Murray yeah I think the way that stacking really makes sense is if DeAndre Hopkins does turn into his clear number one receiver and then in that case you will have had to spend a second round pick plus fifth late fifth early sixth at the latest for Kyler Murray. Right. Yeah. Not much room for uh, profit there. LA Rams, nothing big coaching change wise. Of course, Sean McVay is there. He enters his fourth season in what remains a nice start with the Rams. I mean, people are kind of down on him now, but he's 33 and 15 overall as a coach. Uh, His worst record so far with the Rams was nine and seven last year. 2019 seemed like a down year for the offense, but they still ranked seventh in yards, 11th in points, 
13th in yards per play. They did sink to just 17th in Football Outsiders DVOA. That was after ranking second and sixth the previous two years. Now, McVay did seem to kind of admit that he's human over the offseason because he had gone the previous two years with no offensive coordinator after Matt LaFleur left for Tennessee and then Green Bay. This offseason, the Rams hired Kevin O'Connell in January to be the new offensive coordinator. O'Connell was the OC in Washington in 2019. He was the Washington passing game coordinator in 2018, the QBs coach there in 2017. Before that, he was a Niners offensive assistant. And then way back in 2015, Kevin O'Connell was a Browns QBs coach. And he's another young guy who, like, I, I guess I don't think he's going to have that big of an impact. I think it's, I think it's still going to be Sean McVay's offense. I, I don't think there's going to be a, a tangible difference um, between what we've seen um, under McVay and now, you know, with the McVay-O'Connell tandem. To me, and obviously I don't have any insight into the locker room, but I would imagine this was, there's too much on my plate. I need a coordinator, you know, yep. whatever he's going to take. But I would expect the system to remain the same. I would expect Sean McVay to call the plays on game day. Uh, the big question overall, regardless of the, the coaching staff, is will this offense look more like it did the first two and a half years of McVay or more like it did the second half of last year when there were fewer or three wide receiver sets, more tight ends, and the Rams this offseason have indicated that it's going to look more like that, where there's more tight ends, fewer three wide receiver sets. Yeah, that's a major change because the Rams were you know, one of the heaviest three wide receiver offenses in the league for those first, you know, two seasons and even the first half of last year. Then uh, over the second half of last year, they went much more tight end centric. And I, I agree, um, you know, we'll get into these guys, but between trading Brandon Cooks and, you know, not adding much at wide receiver, you know, besides Van Jefferson, a rookie, and then, you know, obviously returning Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby, I do think it's going to be something closer to what we saw over the second half of last season. Yeah, and we'll get to those positions more in a few minutes. The Rams were the seventh most run-heavy offense back in 2017, Sean McVay's first season at 54.6% pass. They were the ninth most run-heavy in 2018 at 56.7%. Last year, they fell all the way to 26th in rushing share at a 62-38 pass-run split. I blame that more on losing than a necessary change in philosophy. The Rams went 53.5% pass in their nine victories, 73.3% pass in their seven losses. So I think if they're a better team this year, and we'll see whether that is, but if they're a better team, I think we'll see more running than we did last year. I projected them at 58-42, which is much closer to their 2018 split than the last year's. Okay, I, I leaned closer to the 2019 Rams. I, I don't think they're going to be significantly better than they were last year. I ended up at uh, 60% uh, projected pass rate for the Rams. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. I could see it. Quarterback notes, Jared Goff led the NFL in pass attempts last season. His touchdown rates and interception rates, though, significantly worse than his previous two years. His yards per attempt were down from 8 and 8.4 the previous two years to 7.4 last year. I would blame Brandon Cooks' injuries for, as the main contributor to that. Cooks was the number two target in 2018. The year before that, Sammy Watkins saw 15% of the target share. Two speed guys on the outside that will grow your yards per attempt. Last year, Cook saw just 11.5% target share while he was dealing with the concussions. Now he's gone, and they really didn't replace him with a Brandon Cooks type. And th there are obviously issues with Jared Goff as a real-life quarterback, but in fantasy, he he's been pretty steady. He's actually one of only three quarterbacks that finished top 12 in fantasy points in each of the last three seasons. It's Jared Goff, Russell Wilson, and Dak Prescott. Um, not, you know, Goff has been near the bottom of top 12 range in all three of those years. Um, he's also been a volatile weekly producer, but he's been pretty predictable. You know, he, he tends to play well against bad defenses and he tends to struggle against good defenses. So I, I do think, you know, as part of a quarterback by committee, he's pretty useful. And I also think he, as you mentioned, the touchdown rate last year, just 3.5%, easily Goff's lowest under Sean McVay. He was at 5.9% and 5.7% the previous two years. So I think we should expect a spike in touchdown rate for Goff in uh, 2020. Yeah, and as you said, very predictable by matchup last year. If he is facing a top defense, like a top 10 pass defense, do not play him. I don't care if he's coming off a 38-point fantasy outing. There was a stretch last year, weeks 10 to 12. He was at Pittsburgh, then home for Chicago, home for Baltimore, posted three straight single-digit fantasy outings. So I'm, that's unusably bad. He followed that with five straight games of 20 or more fantasy points, finished 13th among fantasy QBs in total points, as you mentioned. He's been up there every year, you know, depending on the system, 13th, 12th, whatever. He's been a starter-worthy quarterback in total points each year, and we can predict the ups and downs more than we can with some other guys. 
Yeah, he also really struggles against pressure, you know, when he's under pressure. So against good pass rushers, another time you want to sit him. So it takes takes a little homework, but I think if you if you put the work in, you can you can sort of get a good idea of when Goff is going to have strong and, and not so strong fantasy outings. And if you don't, check out DraftSharks.com and you'll find out because we did the homework for you. Yes, we do. Running back notes, Cam Akers was a second-round pick. Daryl Henderson, Malcolm Brown are the incumbents. I think the natural inclination is to say that the Rams grabbed Akers to be the new main guy, but – Sean McVay has talked up this offseason, the Niners committee approach from last year. I wrote about it in the NFC backfield breakdown that just went on the site this morning. Akers looks like the highest upside candidate here, but don't be surprised if we end up with something along the lines of Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert, and Matt Breida. I could definitely see that. I mean, I, I think the Rams would be better off if Malcolm Brown wasn't you know, part of their backfield plans. So I think an Akers-Henderson tandem would make more sense. I think Akers should also be the favorite. I mean, the Rams just spent the 52nd overall pick of the draft on, and that's 18 picks ahead of where they picked Daryl Henderson the previous year. If you if you compare these guys, you know, if you compared Henderson coming into the league last year versus Akers coming into the league this year, I think it'd be, you know, a pretty even comparison. Henderson was a good prospect coming out of Memphis, but his rookie season was just so disappointing. I mean, we, we heard all August about him struggling, picking up the offense, Barely got on the field as a rookie, you know, despite Todd Gurley, you know, playing at less than 100 percent. Malcolm Brown being, you know, below average NFL running back. Um, and Henderson was still able only to get 39 carries, averaged just 3.8 yards per carry on those attempts. So um, I, I think Akers at least has a chance to, you know, claim the lead role in this backfield over the next few weeks. I definitely agree with that. I'd be curious to see what the reports out of there say. Daryl Henderson, I mean couldn't even grab a big receiving role last year. And he was a good receiver in college and Todd Gurley stunk in the passing game last year. So you would think that Henderson could have at least carved out some role there. It did not happen. Malcolm Brown, as you mentioned, just a limited guy. I mean, he only averaged 4.9 carries per game last year, six total targets. So there's probably more for him this year, but I wouldn't bet on fantasy relevance. John Kelly is another guy that Sean McVay <laughs> has mentioned lately you know, we'll see. We'll see just how much he actually likes this committee idea or whether Cam Akers comes to the forefront. One other thing to keep in mind as you're deciding whether to take a Rams running back at all is that the O-line seems to be deteriorating. The adjusted line yards rankings from Football Outsiders through Sean McVay's three seasons as the head coach, they ranked third in 2017, first in 2018, 19th last year. It's an aging line and they didn't really do anything to bolster it this offseason. Yeah, the line is definitely a concern. I, I do think McVeigh's scheme makes you know them look better and lets these running backs produce better than you know the quality of the line. I think you know the, the fact that they even ranked 19th last year in adjusted line yards. I think you know personnel wise on the line they're they're much worse than that. But McVeigh helps there. Another note here that the Rams have ranked top five in rushing touchdowns in each of the last three seasons under McVeigh. So even you know despite the O line questions, I do think this is a backfield that is going to produce fantasy points. Um, you know, exactly how those are distributed between, you know, Akers, Henderson, and potentially Brown is something we're going to have to figure out over the next month. Unfortunately, you don't have to go out on a limb for Cam Akers to bet on him being the right. top producer here. Pass catcher notes, we'll start off with our boy, Robert Woods. We've talked about him on basically every podcast since we finished our projections for the year. 26.4% target share in his seven games after the bye last year. He did miss one with injury. That would have ranked third among all wideouts for the season. Woods saw nine-plus targets in each of those seven games. And the Rams offense, like I said before, it looks like it's staying in the same direction that it went over the second half, which was the stretch in which Robert Woods really emerged. He hasn't been much of an end zone guy, but he still basically has to score more than the two receiving touchdowns that he did last year. And even with just three total touchdowns, Woods finished wide receiver 14 in PPR last season. Two touchdowns on 90 catches last year for Woods. That's a 2.2% touchdown rate. That was second lowest among 46 wide receivers with 50-plus receptions last season. Woods scored on 7.7% of his catches over his first two seasons with the Rams. That's, you know, closer to league average. That's about where I'd project him this season. So he's going to score more touchdowns. The volume's going to be there. Um, Woods gives you sneaky rushing value as well uh, 36 carries 272 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns over the past two seasons all those marks are top three among wide receivers and he's still going way too late in fantasy drafts cooper cup i think i might be underrating a little bit his target share crashed last season you know he talked about the stretch where robert woods spiked Cooper Cup went from 27.6% target share before the bye to 14.8% after. 
I mean, it's really tough to imagine Cooper Cup's target share staying that low heading into 2020. He has been a high touchdown guy every year, and even when his target share dipped, he was still scoring touchdowns in the second half. He has been the lead end zone target for Jared Goff through their time together. I never end up taking Cooper Cup at his ADP, especially because he's right ahead of Robert Woods, but I'm also fine with where he lives in there. He's in between Calvin Ridley and A.J. Brown, and I would easily take Cup over A.J. Brown. Um, yeah, I'm with you on Cup over Brown. I, I think he's overvalued by, you know, five or so wide receiver spots. And my, my concern is if we think the Rams are going to use more two tight end sets, that means Cup's going to play more snaps outside the numbers. And we saw that over the second half of last season. And over the first half of the season, Cup played 75% of his snaps in the slot. That dropped to 55.5% over the second half of last season. And, and Cup's efficiency really suffered because of that. His yards per target dropped from 9.1 to 7.9. His yards per route run went from 2.69 to 1.4. So I, I, I just think he's better in the slot. And if he's not going to get those slot snaps, I think it's going to hurt his efficiency and probably his targets too. I think I think the fact that his targets dropped was at least partly because he was playing more outside the numbers. Yes, I don't think that he's heading back for the 27% target share. I do think he'll come up from 14, but you know, 19, 20% is not a, a special number, solid yep. number. Josh Reynolds is basically free at ADP. I believe he was wide receiver 86. So there's not much point in making an argument for or against him. He'll do something. He's more interesting for best ball. We'll need to hold off Van Jefferson, who arrived in the second round. Right. I think, you know, maybe grabbing grabbing Reynolds and Jefferson super late in your draft makes some sense. I also think, though, you know, if again, if the Rams are going to use more two tight end sets, that means less time on the field for the Rams number three, which three wide receiver. And we've actually seen this offense produce three fantasy viable wide receivers um, over McVay's first two seasons. But I don't think that's going to be the case if it's more two tight end stuff. I think where I would be interested in Josh Reynolds is if it's a deep draft and I already have Robert Woods or Cooper Cup on the team so that, you know, he'll show up every once in a while and then there's handcuff appeal if either of those guys goes down. Yeah, I agree. The Rams tight ends is a storyline that we've broadcast. Everybody's been talking about plenty. Gerald Everett was the first guy up in terms of target opportunity last year. Then he got injured and Tyler Higby exploded. Higby got the contract extension during the season last year. Gerald Everett is headed to free agency after this season. Higby is the better blocker. He That has led to more playing time than Gerald Everett over the past several seasons. And that makes him easily the better bet between them. I think his tight end 780p is fair, but he hasn't been my guy in that range. No, I haven't drafted a ton of him. I will say I've moved like closer to the pro Higby side and you know, away from the anti Higby side over you know the past month or two. I, I just think, as you mentioned, Higby got that contract extension. Everett's going to be a free agent. You know, say what you want about Higby over his first three and a half seasons doing nothing, but over those final five games of last year, I mean, we, we just don't see many tight ends do what he did. He had four straight 100-yard games, then went for 84 yards in the season finale. Um, he averaged 9.3 yards per target. That was a top five mark. He was top three in yards per route run among tight ends over those final five games. So I, I just think what he showed, it's going to be tough for the Rams to you know not keep him a you know key part of their passing game. I agree. Gerald Everett is a, a good late best ball option. I'm not interested though as we switch over to lineup setting leagues in the second tight end here. Yeah, I, I do think it makes sense as like a Higby handcuff. I mean, if Higby goes down, I think Everett can can you know be a fantasy starter. And you know, if in the case that you know Higby loses the job again to Gerald Everett, Everett's going late enough where it makes sense to just pair those two and and, and make sure you have the Rams top tight end. Who I like is Robert Woods. I mean, he's the only Ram that I truly like at cost. Yeah, obviously Robert Woods, still going wide receiver 18. I like Jared Goff too, quarterback 16. I know it's not always going to be pretty. And again, there's going to be those down weeks. But again, he's been a top 12 fantasy quarterback each of the last three seasons. And he's going uh, quarterback 16 now. Yeah, Cam Akers, Jared Goff, and the tight ends are guys that I'm fine with at cost. Robert Woods is the only one that lights my fire though this season. Who I don't. Cooper Cup over Robert Woods in lineup setting leagues. Now, in the Draft Sharks Invitational, John Paulson said after taking Cup, and I remember we talked about him taking Cup with Robert Woods still on the board, and he said Woods over Cup in a lineup setting league, Cup in a best ball league. So that I can get with because of Cup's end zone role. I mean, it's it's still Woods for me. I mean, you know, especially in PPR, those those catches count too. And it's not like Cup's like a, a big play guy where he's going to, you know, break off the, the long touchdowns. I guess it makes more sense in, in best ball leagues, but it's, it's still 
Woods for me over Cup, and I'm not I'm not drafting Cup at wide receiver 16 again. I think there's too much risk with you know not knowing exactly what this Rams offense is going to look like, and if Cup Cup's going to have to play outside the numbers a lot more. Yeah, Cup's not my guy over Woods in best ball either. Um, but if you tell me that after you take Cup, I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. San Francisco 49ers, Jared. Anything relevant on the coaching change front? Nope. Kyle Shanahan back for his fourth season with the team. This Niners offense has gotten progressively better in each of Shanahan's first three seasons. Last year, they were fourth in the NFL in yards, fifth in yards per play, second in points scored. And and we know it's been a run heavier offense. Sort of, they, they've actually gotten run heavier in each of Kyle Shanahan's three seasons. They were just 26th in run rate the first year. I think that was mostly because the Niners just weren't a good team that, that year. Um, up to 13th in run rate in 2018. They were second in run rate uh, this past season. And the Niners were also fourth in run rate when the games were within one score. So, you know, that, that tells you that that's what Shanahan wanted to be, that he wanted this to be a run first offense. Mm-hmm. Certainly going 13 and three didn't hurt that either. The median for Kyle Shanahan's 12 years as a head coach or an OC across various franchises, 58 and a half percent pass, 41 and a half percent run. That's much closer to the 2018 split than last year's. I projected them at 55-45. I do think that they want to be a running team. I don't think that they're going to to be quite as good as last year. It's just unlikely for a team to be that good two years in a row. But I do think they'll still be among the most run-heavy teams in the league. Yeah, if I'm with you, I I, uh, docked their run rate a little bit. So they were at 49.2% run last year. I went with a 47% run rate for 2020. Yeah, I think anything in that range is pretty fair. QB notes, Jimmy Garoppolo, we'll see about his volume, but his efficiency was terrific in 2019, which it's hard, it's easy to forget was his first full starting season in the NFL. Garoppolo finished fourth in the NFL in completion rate, seventh in touchdown rate, third in yards per pass attempt. Yeah, I mean, really volume was the only issue for him. You know, he was 19th in the league with 476 pass attempts. He also gives you nothing with his legs, which hurts hurts a little bit, but um, I've definitely warmed to Garoppolo over the past couple months. Um, I, I think he's a good bet for more pass volume this season again you know we both project the Niners to throw it a bit more if they're if they're not quite so dominant and not playing with leads that's going to help Garoppolo he averaged 33.7 pass attempts in the Niners three losses last year that was compared to just 28.8 pass attempts in the 13 wins and in the four games that he threw it at least 35 times he finishes a top five fantasy quarterback in three of those four so he proved he could produce big fantasy numbers when he got the volume and I think he'll get volume more often this season and the way he played last year if only he could just float around and start every week against the Arizona Cardinals he'd be yeah. magic well speaking of that he the other thing in favor of Garoppolo is his opening season schedule he opens with the Cardinals Ooh. and he gets the Jets Giants Eagles and Dolphins I think that's probably the most favorable you know, opening five games to, to to start the season for any quarterback. So I think that helps his case, you know, as maybe a late round pick in lineup setting leagues. You can you can take him late and use him for those first five weeks. Yeah, that schedule will make the eggplant emoji pop up. <laughs> Running back notes, Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman tied in carries last season. Coleman was the early leader. Raheem Mostert was the leader from week 13 on. Mostert beat Coleman at 5.6 to 4.0 in yards per carry and across the board in advanced metrics. Mostert scored in eight of the final nine games, including the playoffs. He never topped 12 carries in consecutive games in that stretch, though, and saw minimal receiving usage. Yeah, the volume is my biggest concern with Mostert. Tevin Coleman's still going to be involved. We'll see about Jarek McKinnon. All the reports on him over the past week now have been positive. Um, so maybe he's actually going to get on the field for San Fran this year. But yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Mostert's volume wasn't great. I mean, he was doing it with incredible, unsustainable efficiency. He averaged 6.1 yards per carry over that hot stretch. He scored on over 9% of his carries, which is you know completely unrepeatable. Um, he averaged 14.6 carries over those final eight games. That was inflated, though, by that 29-carry game against the Packers. Um, he topped 12 carries in just two of his other seven games. And then he, he was you know basically a zero in the passing game. He averaged just 1.5 targets per game. So unless he can repeat that type of, of efficiency, you know, I think Mostert might disappoint fantasy owners this season. Yeah, and I think it's going to be a frustrating situation to own either guy because I, I don't think that we're going to see one guy control the work. As I said last year, we weren't getting, you know, lead back carry from Mostert even during that hot stretch where he was scoring for teams. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Jarek McKinnon, who you brought up, I thought he was an overrated entity a couple of years ago when he got signed by the 49ers. 
There's been some slight buzz this offseason. It seems like he's going to be healthy enough to play. There's some talk of McKinnon playing a significant passing down role, and there's room for that in this offense where we mentioned Mostert doesn't get a whole lot. Tevin Coleman has been pretty good as a receiver, but, I mean, there wouldn't be any reason for the Niners to keep Jarek McKinnon around if they didn't see some kind of significant role for him. After two years off with a knee injury, though, I'm just not interested in McKinnon until we get very late into a draft. To me, he's just another reason to shy away from Raheem Mostert and where where he's going. If he's going to go in the fourth or fifth round, I'm just not interested. McKinnon was a guy Kyle Shanahan obviously loved. I mean, they gave him a surprisingly big contract in free agency a couple years ago. Like you said, who knows what McKinnon has left after all that knee trouble. Uh, he's, he's not someone I'm taking shots on interest at this point but you know again it's possible he turns this into a, a three-headed committee interesting to note he's running back 68 in ffpc main event drafts you know not a lot of those in the book so far he's gone five rounds earlier in adp in football guys championship drafts so there have been a lot more of those drafts in the books and he's sliding up the board there also that's also four and a half rounds earlier than he was going in ffpc best ball drafts so there are some drafters looking to get more pieces of McKinnon at this point. We'll see where that goes. You know, still talking way down the board, but interesting to watch his arc as we get toward the season. Yeah, I mean, I think the argument for him is that he's a super cheap piece of this running game that we know is going to be good. I think McKinnon would need at least Moster or at least one of Moster or Coleman to go down, though, to play a big enough role to be a fantasy option. Yeah, I agree, especially when we have to decide to put him in the lineup. Pass catcher notes, Debo Samuel took the lead at receiver over the second half of last year. He reached 20% target share just once through seven games, uh, through the first seven games, did so eight times in his final 11 games, including the playoffs. Of course, this year, he suffered a Jones fracture in his left foot in June. Uh, They projected a 12 to 16 week recovery timetable at that point. That's about three, four months, which would push into at least September, perhaps October. He has since predicted a 10-week return. Even that would be early September. Debo's still going wide receiver 38 in August ADP, wide receiver 37 in FFPC drafting. I just don't know why anybody would take him ahead of Jamison Crowder right now. Yeah, me either. I mean, I I thought Debo was fairly valued before the foot injury. I I just don't think he's been discounted enough after that injury. Those Jones fractures are tough. You know, we've, we've seen them hobble wide receivers you know for a whole season we've seen a lot of guys suffer setbacks with them Debo went down in mid-June you know that would give him a chance to be ready for week one but but GM John Lynch basically admitted a couple weeks ago that he doesn't expect Debo to be ready for week one I've heard you know whispers that he might be a candidate for the pup list which would cost him the first six games of the season so yeah I mean a wide receiver 38 he'd need to drop you know at least 10 spots beneath that before I'd consider taking him Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Even if he's ready early in the season and he looks like himself for a few games, we've seen recurrences with players. I mean, Greg Olson comes to mind. Julian Edelman comes to mind where we could get four or five good games from Debo and then all of a sudden he's got a compensatory issue or re injured that foot. It's just not worth it to me. I've been surprised, too, that there's no Brandon Ayuk hype or significant growth in his ADP. And I mean, not even in individual drafts that I've been in, have I seen, oh, Brandon Ayuk went 40th among wide receivers in this draft. He's consistently in this low range. His August best ball 10s ADP is wide receiver 62. His FFPC main event ADP so far is wide receiver 68. For me, Brandon Ayuk's one of my favorite late round wide receiver targets. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, that, that's coming from someone who didn't love Ayuk as a prospect. I mean, you know, he had just the one big season at Arizona State after spending his first two seasons in junior college. He played behind Nikhil Harry in his first year at Arizona State. But um, I, I was lower than consensus on Ayuk pre-draft. I've definitely, you know, he's moved up my dynasty rankings. I agree with you. I think he's a good late round redraft target. The Niners traded up to select Brandon Ayuk with the 25th overall pick of this spring's draft. Kyle Shanahan claims that he had Ayuk as the top wide receiver in this draft class. I don't know if I buy that. I mean, t- tough for me to imagine Shanahan having Ayuk over both CD Lamb and Jerry Judy, but the point is Shanahan likes this guy. He, you know, confirmed that by trading up to select him. And I also think Ayuk is a, a great fit in this Niners offense cuz he's at his best with the ball in his hands after the catch. Um he averaged 10.9 yards after the catch 
last season at Arizona State. That was sixth best among all draft eligible wide receivers this season. That's what the Niners offense does. They, you know, use short passes, get the ball into Debo Samuel's hands, into George Kittle's hands, and let him do work after the catch. I think that's how they're going to use Ayuk. And again, I think that's a perfect fit for his game. And it has sure seemed like Kyle Shanahan, at least as well as any other coach, knows his system and knows what he wants in a player and knows how to use guys. And we saw it immediately with Debo Samuel last year. So I, I don't understand why there's not a little bit more excitement for Brandon Ayuk. And I, I'm enjoying it, though. I enjoy being able to get him well into the double-digit rounds. There's no reason why Ayuk can't have a similar rookie season to what Debo Samuel did last year. Jalen Hurd is intriguing. He's an end-of-the-draft flyer, and I think he'll be more interesting if it looks like Debo is headed for the regular season pup. But Jalen Hurd is an impressive athlete. He was miscast as a running back early in his college career and ran ahead of Alvin Kamara, by the way, (laughs) and carries at Tennessee while doing that as a 6'5", 220-pound running back. Then he moved to Baylor where he could become a wideout, and he looked like a wideout in his only season playing for Baylor in 2018. So, you know, it's a tough projection for a guy who spent one year as a receiver, but there's some buzz and he's going late. I'm very interested to see what happens with Jalen Hurd. Yeah, Hurd led that Baylor team in both catches and receiving yards, you know, again, in his first year on the team in his first year as a wide receiver. And Denzel Mims was on that team, you know, who was a draft pick of the Jets this spring. Yeah, we, we just haven't seen much of Jalen Hurd in the NFL yet. You know, he missed his entire rookie season with a stress fracture in his back. He was buzzing last August before that injury. He caught two touchdowns in San Francisco's preseason opener last year. And, you know, as we said with Ayuk, you know, there's opportunity here with Debo Samuel on the shelf and, you know, the Niners having not much else at wide receiver. Yeah, and the Niners have showed us that they're not scared to play young wide receivers. I mean, even before Debo, we had Dante Pettis have a cup of coffee and get everybody a little too excited about him. And he's not even that good, it turns out. (laughs) Exactly. George Kittle, of course, is the pass catcher you have to talk about. Second among tight ends in target share last season, even though he missed two games. He saw 27% of 49ers targets in his 14 games. That number would have ranked second in the league across positions behind only Michael Thomas. He's been, you know, that good over the past couple seasons now. And I I think he's gotten lucky in the touchdown department. He has just 10 total touchdowns over the past two seasons. Um, That's it. He has a 5.8% touchdown rate over that span. That's uh, about two and a half percentage points below the league average. So I think there's room for, you know, Kittle to be even better in fantasy if he, you know, gets that seven, eight touchdown season. Yeah, and again, we're, we're talking about there's been one full season of Jimmy Garoppolo, so there should be some growth there in the connection in the end zone passing. Who I like, Brandon Ayuk is easily my favorite value here. He's likely at least the number two wideout on this team, and there's a chance that he just spends the season as the top target at that position. Not the Niners' top target, but the top target getter among Niners wide receivers. Yeah, I like the idea of taking Ayuk, you know, at wide receiver 62 and then Jalen Hurd at wide receiver 80. I mean, there's a chance Mm -hmm. you're getting San Francisco's top two wide receivers to open the season. You know, they're both going outside the top 60 at their position. Yeah. So, I mean, and then let's move to the who I don't side because I like the Niners running backs just fine for best ball where I don't have to decide who to play and I can just take the spike weeks. Raheem Mostert's RB 27 in August best ball 10s ADP. Tevin Coleman's running back 36. So. I think they're good targets if you wait and take other things early and then you pair them up pretty close together in the middle rounds. Now, as we move to lineup setting leagues, I'm not that interested because I think they're going to frustrate. I think it's going to be tough to predict who's scoring week to week. And I would much rather get that wide receiver tandem that you're talking about when I'm deciding who's going in my lineup each week. Yeah, I'm definitely with you there. You know, every time I want to come out and be like big anti Raheem Mostert guy, I look at the ADP and at running back 27, I can't argue with that too much. I stood, I still would prefer Tevin Coleman at running back 36. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're separated by nine running back spots, but they tend to be separated by, you know, three, four, five rounds in fantasy drafts where Mostert usually goes in the, you know, fifth round. Coleman's available in the eighth, ninth, or tenth. Mostert's the favorite to lead the backfield in carries and fantasy points this season, but I'll just take the discount on, on Tevin Coleman because I don't think the gap between them should be as big as it is. Yeah, it's also not one of those favorites I would bet. Yeah, right. Seattle Seahawks, nothing really on the coaching front. Pete Carroll heads into his 11th season as the Seattle head coach. Brian Schottenheimer has spent the past two years as the OC. Those teams ranked sixth and ninth in scoring, fifth and ninth in DVOA. Thank you very much, Russell Wilson. (laughs) The run-pass split, this offense has ranked sixth and first in rushing share the past two years under Schottenheimer. 
His entire history, his offenses have averaged a 53.4% passing share, 46.6 run. I projected this team at 56-44. I, I wish that they would go further than that. I think 56-44 might even be a little bit on the hopeful side because I think the defense has a chance to not be particularly good this year. And they might have the best wide receiver duo that they've had since Russell Wilson arrived. Yeah, I, I hope you're right. I went 53-47, which uh, I, I guess explains why I think you came out higher on Russell Wilson than I did. Yeah, I, I just I just think every year we, we complain we want Seattle to throw the ball more and it, it just doesn't happen. Let's go to give you notes. Let's talk kindly about Russell Wilson. Ignore his OC for a minute. The Seahawks do not throw the ball a ton, but they probably should. When uh, he's 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 just one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Drew Brees has reached six percent passing touchdown rate more times than Russell Wilson. He is the only active quarterback who has done so. Drew Brees has done so seven times in nineteen seasons. He's done six times. He's done so six times in fourteen seasons with the Saints. Russell Wilson has reached 6% passing touchdown rate in six of his eight years in Seattle. Wilson ranked fifth in the league last year at a 6% touchdown rate, and that was just the sixth best mark of his career so far. Yeah, all it takes for Russell Wilson to be an elite fantasy quarterback is that Seahawks to just be like league average in pass rate. And, and we saw that in 2017. They finished 11th in pass rate this season. They, that season, they were 14th in pass attempts. And Russell Wilson led all fantasy quarterbacks in points. So, you know, that that's the upside. The floor, you know, we've seen we've seen something closer to the floor, I think, over the, the last two years when, when Seattle ranked dead last in pass rate in 2018. Wilson finished 10th that year. And last year they were 28th in pass rate and Wilson finished fourth. So it, it, it just comes down to how much they let him throw. I think in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, it's, you know, the, the best wide receiver duo that Wilson has had to work with. So that's only going to help the efficiency, which is always awesome. And it helped him post his second best completion rate of his career last season. It was Russell Wilson's second straight year of eight plus yards per pass attempt. So, you know, again, it's a good situation. And Wilson's 342 rushing yards last year were actually the second fewest of his career, still ranked sixth among quarterbacks. And he rebounded from zero rushing scores in 2018 to three last year. Wilson's been averaging about 2.4 of those per season. You know, he is getting up there. He's in his 30s now. So I wouldn't be surprised if the rushing stays at least in that range where, you know, he was, you know, closer to four or 500 yards early in his career. But, you know, that, that that's just bonus. You're, you're, you're buying the efficiency when you're drafting Wilson. And we'll just have to keep in mind that he's unlimited. <laughs> Running back notes, Chris Carson avoided surgery for the hip fracture that ended his 2019 in week 16. He did begin training camp on time. Friend of the podcast and orthopedic surgeon Jeff Budoff told me that he's not worried about Chris Carson's hip, not worried about re-injury. Um, he's drafting Chris Carson. So that's enough for me to not worry so much about the hip. Carson did rank fifth in the league in carries last year, top 15 in total PPR points each of the past two seasons, despite missing three total games. We mentioned the pass run splits. It hurts the upside for Russell Wilson a bit. It obviously helps the upside for Chris Carson. Yeah, conflicting reports on the hip thing. Um, I think, though, regardless of what you feel about the hip, that durability counts as a concern against Chris Carson. Even before last year's hip injury, he had knee surgery in 2018. He had a, a, a separate hip injury in 2018. He had a, a leg and ankle injury in 2017. He's missed 15 games uh, as a pro so far. So that you know that that's the biggest concern with Carson. But when he's healthy, I mean, he 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 produced as a running back one when he was healthy last season. He was eighth among running backs in both PPR and not PPR points, and he was super consistent. Uh, Carson was a top twenty-four PPR running back in thirteen of his fourteen healthy games last season. And his ADP is fine. He's in that third round, maybe early fourth round group. Yep. Carlos Hyde looks like the current handcuff if you really want one. I'm not interested in Carlos Hyde here because I figure Rashad Penny, even if he starts the season on the pup probably going to play at some point. Yeah. And I don't think Hyde is a threat to Carson's volume. Um, you know, Hyde had a good 2019 in terms of raw production. You know, he was also top 12 in the NFL and carries. He really just did it on volume. He wasn't very good. If you look at, you know, yards after contact per attempt, uh, PFF's elusive rating, you know, he was, he was in the bottom half of the league and all those marks. So I, I think Carson, a much better running back and, and should remain the clear lead ball carrier in Seattle this year. Yeah, Carlos Hyde is like the less good version of Chris Carson, which makes him a good backup to him. <laughs> not a very good fantasy option. Yes. DJ Dallas is interesting, but he totaled just 293 offensive touches in three years at Miami, topped out at 115 carries, 14 receptions in his final season there. So it, it's tough to expect a big 2020 role from that rookie. I think he's fine 
at the end of a late draft as like a scratch off ticket, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't get excited about DJ Dallas for 2020. Yeah. I think he's semi interesting in dynasty. He He's not on my radar at all in redraft. Pass catcher. No, it's Tyler Lockett. I mean, how much more can I say about him? He leads all NFL wideouts in yards per target since the start of 2016 last year, which was his fifth season in the league was the first time we really got to see Lockett as the lead receiver, even 2018 was Doug Baldwin's final year with the team. He had, you know, knee issues, but was still the target leader that season. Lockett has also dealt with some nagging injuries earlier in his career. He's always been efficient, though. And even last year's numbers were dragged down by a late-season leg injury. 6.2 catches, 79.3 yards, and 0.6 touchdowns per game over his first 10. After his leg injury, he averaged 3.3 catches, 44 yards, and 0.3 touchdowns per game over the final six contests. Yeah, and that was a serious leg injury. He had to be hospitalized, actually, after that game. It was that compartment syndrome. And then Seattle had a bye the following week, so he got a week off there. But he can't, He played the next two games, but he did not look himself. That's when his production really dropped is those two games following the injury. If we remove those two games and then add in Seattle's two playoff games to give Lockett a full 16-game season – He had 94 catches, 1,217 yards, and nine touchdowns. All all three of those marks would have ranked top seven in the NFL among wide receivers. So I'm I'm thankful for that leg injury. I think it's keeping Lockett's ADP down. And even if you leave the bad games in, he still finished 13th in total PPR points. So I I, I don't understand why he's going wide receiver 23 in ADP. That's exactly, that's also exactly where he ranked in the percentage of his games where he finished among the top 36 and half PPR. If you look at the reliability ratings that Jared Smola compiled on DraftSharks.com, including the injury slowdown, including the low volume offense. So even that is floor for Tyler Lockett. Right. 13th last year after finishing 16th in 2018. And again, on those low volume passing games. So even if the Seahawks don't throw it a lot more this season, I still think Lockett's a, a good bet to beat his price tag. Yeah, efficiency's not going anywhere as long as Russell Wilson's around. DK Metcalf, a terrific debut for him. Top 31 fantasy scoring across formats. High touchdown rate, 13th among wideouts and touchdowns, just 36th in receptions. I do think that he's likely to continue to do well in that category, though. You know, besides Russell Wilson, Metcalf led the entire league in end zone targets last season, according to Pro Football Focus, with 18 of them. Scored on six of them, so not a ridiculous rate of touchdowns among those 18 end zone targets. And Tyler Lockett tied for fourth in that category. So it was both of them getting the ball in that range, not necessarily something that that looks inflated and looks ready to regress. Super encouraging rookie season for Metcalf. Um, he, He was even better over the second half of the season than the first, which you like to see his his playing time, his volume, his production all climbed from the first half of the season to the second. My, my only issue with Metcalf is, you know, he, he tends he tends to go ahead of Tyler Lockett in fantasy drafts. I just, I still think Lockett's the number one receiver in Seattle. He had more targets, catches, receiving yards, and touchdowns than Metcalf last season. Lockett also beat Metcalf in catch rate, yards per target, yards per route run, and pro football focus receiving grade. So I, I just think it's still Lockett as the 1A, and he again, he tends to go later in fantasy drafts. Yeah, that's the only issue for me as well. They're basically tied in ADP, so if I have to take one of them, I'm taking Tyler Lockett. Me too. The tight ends, uh, count me out of a tight end yeah. by committee. Greg Olson, Jacob Hollister, Will Disley, if he's ready physically, uh, you throw in the low pass volume. I'd rather have Jimmy Graham, CJ Uzama, either Jaguar and Logan Thomas than any of the Seattle tight ends. Um, yeah, I think I'm with you there. Not a group I've been interested in drafts. Will Disley already back on the field somehow after last year's, I think it was a torn Achilles, right? So yeah, it's it's, it's a crowded group. Greg Olson did get a one-year $7 million deal. That's, that's you know, a lot of money for a tight end. So I think that probably makes him the favorite to at least open the season as uh, Seattle's lead tight end, but he, he's, he's also 35 years old now, you know, who knows if he's going to last the season. Russell Wilson has also only produced um, two top 12 PPR tight ends through eight seasons is eight seasons in the NFL. So, you know, he, he hasn't really utilized the tight end uh, as much as you might think. Who I like, I'm cool with Chris Carson where he's going. I'm fine with Russell Wilson. If he slides a little past ADP or even as like the last guy in that range. But I mean, who I like is Tyler Lockett. I'm just going to start wearing his mask when I do these podcasts. <laughs> Yeah, I love Lockett at wide receiver 23. Um, I like Chris Carson, too. I mean, so he's going in the late third round. That feels early, but he's also running back 20. Like, it just shows you, again, you know, how early these running backs are going in drafts. At RB20, I think, you know, the only risk, the only way he doesn't pay that off is if he, he gets hurt and misses a bunch of time. 
Yeah, and I think as we move from best ball drafting into more lineup setting drafting, you'll see that those running backs slide a little bit down the board into round four, which only makes them more attractive. Definitely. On the who I don't, it, really the tight ends are the ones that I hate. I'm not taking DK Metcalf ahead of Tyler Lockett, but I don't hate it if you take Metcalf. I, I prefer Lockett, but I can't say for sure that DK Metcalf will not outscore Tyler Lockett this year. I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. Yep, definitely possible. I, I don't, I'm not anti DK Metcalf at all. I think at wide receiver 22, it's fine. Um, it's, it's, it's more, you know, it's more Lockett being undervalued than Metcalf being overvalued. All right. That's going to do it for this NFC West episode of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see how we project all these guys to set up your custom MVP board and to practice your draft strategy in our mock draft trainer. You can also find all of our annual big three articles live on the website, along with the ever popular perfect draft series coming soon. Make sure you're a DS insider so you can dig into all that stuff. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.